Hairdressing, business, beauty, products, people, interviews, fitness, health, well-being. I'm Nathan Plumridge and welcome to Hair Life. In this episode, my guest is none other than the amazing Caroline Newman. She's had a career spanning over 35 years as a hair colour expert and educator. Caroline has won numerous awards, such as the Most Wanted Colorist 2012, and has been covered in major magazines such as Tatler, Vogue, and Marie Claire. She's also appeared on TV shows like GMTV, This Morning, Working Lunch, and many more. So sit back and enjoy the show talking about all things color. Right, so good morning, Carolyn. Welcome to Hair Life. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm very excited to have you on the show. It's, um, it's been something I know we've discussed uh, a few times, so finally we've got to do it. So um, here we go. I'm excited. This is Hair Life. Do you know the exciting thing about this is already in this short period, just the reactions I've had from people um, have been amazing. So I'm excited about what we're going to get from this show today. So let's get going. Um, well, what fantastic. I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me on. I feel very honoured. <laughs> oh, it's going to be great. You're, you're a special lady. Um, what I want people to do first is just know about Caroline Newman. Tell the listeners about yourself. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Caroline Newman, and I um, originally I'm from Tasmania, Australia, and I came to um, England in the late 80s, um, mainly because I wanted to work with English hairdressers. When I was growing up and training as a hairdresser, it was all about the British hairdresser, and, it, you know, British hairdressing was huge, but what was really interesting was that I would get the hairdresser's journal three months later than when you got it <laughs> over in England. So I, we were always like a season behind, but it didn't matter because you just got really inspired. And I was fortunate enough that my grandmother is Welsh, so I could come over here on a grandparent visa. So I came over here. Um, I was fortunate to get a job with the Charles Worthington um, company and they were only four years old and I was able to grow and develop for them. And I stayed with them for 25 years and wow. I was their color and education director. And I also did two years as operations director. So I feel like I've covered all areas in the business really of hairdressing. And what was that like for you going from, you know, in terms of like the salon sort of manager and then turning yourself into one of the greatest colorists pretty much, you know, in the UK and some of the best in the, the world? I think it went hand in hand. When I, when I started at Charles Burlington, I asked, was asked to be a manager after working there for eight weeks. Wow. I was um, like a year older than some of the staff. We were all quite young. We're all in our um, early 20s. Um, but they said, you know, we want to train you. We think you've got management experience. And I sort of feel that being a manager taught me how to manage people. So when I went on to, um, I then went from management to education. And then to go into education, that was easy for me because I'd learned how to manage people. So I'd learned how to get the best out of people. I'd learned how to sort of, you know, know when they were having an off day and coach them and guide them, uh, which is what you have to do as, a, as an educator. 
exactly. you have to understand that people learn at different rates. What's well, the same thing in a salon if you're a manager? They perform at different rates as well. So for me, that was really, really helpful. But the way I went into colour was I'd always been good, a good colourist. I was trained as an all-rounder. So in Australia, you learn everything. Um, and I have to say, you have quite a good training. It's four years. So it's three years going to college one day a week and then a year where you work on the shop floor sort of paying your um, company back. But actually all the training they've done for you, you know, for you in those three years. Mm -hmm. So you come out with quite good all-round skills. And when I went to Charles Worthington, they were all-rounders as well, except Charles only cut hair. So he was just getting everyone to do his colours. And I knew that at some point he was going to um, nominate a colour person. And I just, I'd always been really good at colour. I'd won awards in Tasmania, you know, for my colour. I, I knew that was sort of a bit of a passion. And I decided that I wanted to be Charles's colour colour director. And I, I think, I think that's one of the things is I, I got asked very early on in my career was, do you, will you step on other people's toes? And I'm a very nice person, a very kind person, a very fair person. But my answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Which would really surprise a lot of people because <laughs> if it's what I want, if it's how I'm going to get it, I am going to do it properly. I'm going to do it fairly. And I will only get the job if I earn it on merit. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm nice or I'm friends with someone. I want to earn something because I'm good at it. Um, and for me, I practice and practice colour. I sort of started, and this was way before phones or anything like that. Yep. So what I did was I would take Polaroids of all, I'd get models in after work and, and ask if I could just practice and do their hair and pay a small amount for colour. And I would just take loads of photos. And I kept going up and literally putting them in Charles's face. So I did this, I did look at this colour makeover. So. In the world of, we never recorded anything. The only photographs you took was when you did a photographic shoot, maybe for a competition. Um, so I was taking constant Polaroids and photos. And then one day Charles had to do a shoot. And he said, do you want to help? Um, and I also became on the art team. So I started doing the colour for the art team. And then one day I said to him for a big, big show, I think we were doing it at Salon International, I said, we can't have everyone doing the hair and everyone doing the colour. We need some doing cut. We need some doing colour. We need a, a colour team. And that's sort of how I sort of started moving into that direction. But then I got chosen to go and do the first ever real, there was a pilot and then the first ever colour specialist degree with L'Oreal. And um, I got 99%. Again, I wanted to get 100 um, but it was the first one, so I don't think they would give it. Um, but for me, that then made me realise how much I was into colour. And I think it also reinforced with the company that um, I knew colour. And what I was able to do was think like a colourist, but also think like a cutter. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm a bit different, because I go into colouring, I section it like I'm going to do a haircut. And that because I think when you do a haircut, you 
shape it to the, you know, if you're going to do asymmetrical, you don't do a square line, you do an yeah. asymmetrical line. If you're going to do a curved section at the back, you do a curved section. So I applied color techniques like that. And that's where I started to, I suppose, be a little bit different to what everyone else was doing because most people in London at the time were only a colorist. Um, and I then stopped cutting for a while. I still cut all my friends' hair and stopped cutting. And then I went into to the color. So that, that's how I made the transition. But I actually think doing all three has really helped, especially for me now. Massively. I was going to say, there's yeah. quite a lot of points, like looking at the things that you said. I mean, number one, it's almost like you were creating almost part of your own social media. Because if you take, if you think about taking Polaroids back then, in the, you know, the nineties, you know, that was it. And actually you're already building up like a portfolio of pictures. Yeah. So it's almost about like you were ahead of the time there, which is pretty cool. <laughs> actually, it's also the other thing there is then really looking at that management style. The simple fact that you were actually like saying to Charles, hey, look, in order to do this photo shoot, we need to put these people in positions to yeah. make it work. Yeah. So there's already these things you can start to see how they're building together. And actually, I think when we look at colour and I did the colour degree two years after you um, and I got 98 percent, which was all right. And it's yeah, one of those. That when I look back at it, I, I, I think I'm probably the same in the sense that I look at a haircut and a collar, sort of a colour is to complement that haircut. And I think that's where that synergy is. So having those three skill sets that you've got have definitely taken you in the path where you are now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, and I think I think when I look, especially in the education market now, because we know, especially since um, we've gone into lockdowns and things, so many other people have become an, an educator. Now, I've been an educator for 30 years. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it was a bit different, but I you then question, oh, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And actually it's like, no, you do what you're good at. And I realised that, as you said, with these, those exact skills, I've got business skills, I've got colour skills, um, I've got all-round presentation skills, is that I can utilise all of those. Then that's my unique selling point um, yeah. when it comes to technique. I'm not known for specific technique. What I am known is bespoke contemporary colouring. And that's what I was going to say. Like, one of the questions I want to say to you is, so education is obviously now one of your major focuses. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the sort of things that you're really doing within the sort of Caroline Newman brand? But also I know you're yeah. working with, with other groups of people as well. So what are you actually doing now? Well, so um, I was with Charles Wellington for 25 years and I, I got to the point where I had to decide, was this what I wanted to do forever? Or did I want to do other things and one of the big reasons was was that my family were getting older in Australia and I wanted to go back for longer periods of time as opposed to just you know three or four weeks every two years or so and I also had got to the point where I thought I'd like to do something for me and it was just naturally time for me to move on I'd been I'd been running the company and I felt like I wanted to do hair again and so I set up my own colour and education um, consultancy, which is most of my company. And that was exactly what it is, colour and education. But I think, I think it's become more than that now. <laughs> you know, I call things like colour business chats because I like the word colour. Because colour for me is not about hair colour. It's about colour your world, 
life is colorful, all that sort of thing. But actually I'm doing business chats to non-colorists. Um, so I talk to all hairdressers. And for me, it's really funny when you start your education company, because I've been doing it um, for, it'll be six years in um, January, February. And it's changed. It's yeah. changed quite a lot in the last sort of four years. So you start off going, I'm going to teach these courses, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden, you realize that you've got to pivot and you've got to move if, it, if it's sort of not working or if you feel your audience is different. Um, so with myself, I set out with just a few courses. And um, I also wanted to do hair. So I was doing hair from Hunter Collective, mm-hmm. co-working space, one day. I started one day a month and worked up to one day a week. Um, I think it's very clear to say for two years, I was running a company at Charles Worthington, so I wasn't doing clients. Yeah. And that, when you don't do it for a period of time, it's quite a shock to get back into it. Definitely. Um, and so, and, but also you have to do it if you're an educator, because you have to be relevant. Um, and you need to know what clients need and want if you're going to teach people how to look after clients and how to look after the needs of a client. Um, so I did that. And then my where I am now is I also helped out a friend in um, Mark Trinder. I worked at his salon for a while. And when COVID hit and we had no education, it was only online, so no live education. I actually went back and worked more in the salon for people because I wanted to help the salon business and I wanted to support the salon owners and I wanted to look after the clients. But I got through to July this year and realised that now I need to get back into to education. Yeah. Um, so I, I sort of look after some clients, mainly do models now because for I want to work on it my social media more and doing hair. Um, and I do that now out of electric space. Um, so again, I just I need a place where I can do some work, mm-hmm. write my presentations, do some education, and maybe see someone in the chair. Um, but it's sort of not so much a priority the education is. And I do I've now brought my education down to four things. So I do bespoke education. Yeah. So salon groups or salons. So salon a salon will ask me to go in and train their team. So I train the whole team. Um, and for them, I create, so they could have more than one salon or I've done it for yourself, obviously, mm-hmm. um, where I create, they say, this is what we need. And I create a day for them. So I do bespoke education. So we sort of look at w- what they need and create something together. Yeah. Um, and then I um, do my consultation. So consultation has been huge for me. Um, I ran Carolyn's Color Clinic, where I did thousands of consultation. I work hard on with psychiatrists, working up the best questions to ask, everything to do with consultation. Because I believe consultation delivery is as important as a fantastic haircut and color. 100%. 100%. Um, and it has to be like that. It's not an afterthought. And I think more and more hairdressers understand that now yeah. because clients need uh much more higher and more what they want is much more demanding and sometimes what they want is not achievable yeah but through consultation you've got to be able to address that um and it's it's down to the most simple things like the first question you ask 
And I was able to ask questions and get answers back really quickly. Yeah. So I could do my consultation and get on with the service. Because otherwise you spend 30 minutes doing the consultation and you've got 10 minutes to do your gala. <laughs> I think that's what's so interesting now. I mean, obviously like we worked together, you know, during sort of parts of the pandemic and then obviously prior to reopening. And it's so interesting when I see the impact of delivering the right service. Um, certainly from a customer perspective, um, it increases their experience, but also there's less risk for mistake and, and I think that is the biggest thing for our industry as a whole now is that we're so driven by Google reviews and social media and all of this. Yeah. And, you know, somebody's experience, if it is bad and something is not done right, can have such a negative impact. So yeah. implementing really quality services like yeah. that just take your business up to another level. And again, I think customer expectation is there yeah. all the time now. You know, and consultation is a service. It's not. It's the service like delivering a great haircut. And I also think we're in such a world of communication. And you know, for me, there were some younger hairdressers that were struggling with their delivery of consultations. Yeah. And it's because they've grown up with phone and texting, and and not doing. You know, we've all gone back to voice notes now, which is very weird because everyone wants to talk more. Where before we were all doing it by, we weren't talking, we were emailing, we were messaging, we were yeah. texting, we weren't vocally talking. And that oh, wow. then a client comes along, we have to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for me, it's all about the impression and that. So I do a um, consultation course, which is a consultation. Um, and that, this can be part of the bespoke as well, but it's consultations in the morning. Um, techniques and then in uh, and they're different to what people have, have done before and then in the afternoon we do based on the consultation bespoke personalized coloring for that client so it's all about doing the right consultation mm-hmm. and then deciding if it's highlights if it's balayage if it's pieces of color if it's a face frame etc um, so it's never not decided on what you're going to do once you've done your consultation that's when you know what you're going to do I think this is, um, that's, that, that's one of the things as well. I mean, where do you, if I look at stylists and I look at clients, how do you think uh, stylists should be talking to clients and what questions do you think clients should be asking stylists? Um, I, I'm going to go with the client first. Okay. And I'll tell you why, because I think the client needs to come in with an open mind. Mm-hmm. And the client needs to trust the hairdresser because the hairdresser is the expert. And I think we all get bombarded by all the information. And, you know, I, I did it the other day when I went in to buy some makeup. I thought I knew everything about it. And, and I actually stumped someone by asking them a question about, well, how can I get this makeup to be glossy? And she was not quite sure. And I was answering it. And I thought... I must be a nightmare client <laughs> because, because I knew it, because I'd researched. So we know that clients come into the salon and they've researched. Um, so they do know terminology. They might not always be able to say it correctly or understand it, but they know, they know terminology. And they also know what, what they want. I saw a fantastic thing years ago. I think it was in Grazia. And it's my favourite saying. 
don't go in and ask for your friend's color because you're not your friend. And that's what, for me with a client, it's, you know, decide what you like, decide what you don't like, because we all are very clear what we like and what we don't like. Yeah. Um, now, we, when we say what we like, we can be quite open going, oh, I like my hair light, I like my hair being a curly. Like, and then when we don't like, we go, I don't like it dark, or I don't, you know, I don't like a fringe. So we're quite definite on what we, what we don't like. So be clear what you like and what you don't like, but be open to getting the expertise from, from the hairdresser yeah. because they're trained in the latest technique. They're trained to, to look at suitability. So they will assess your natural hair color, your skin tone, your face shape, and they will be able to give you advice because they have done a lot of training to get to this point. And I'll, I'll say... It's like going to a dentist. You don't go to a dentist and tell them what to do. No. Um, and with a hairdresser, trust their expertise. I think the trust issue is such, sorry to interrupt you there. I think right. the trust thing is such a massive thing for our industry. Um, I was yeah. listening to a, an, another amazing podcast the other day, and she was saying, actually, um, building your relationship with a hairdresser is like dating. And yeah. it's actually almost like dating for marriage because yeah. – I know in our salon, I don't want that client to come just once. I want them to come for the next 10 years, you know, 15 years. And I want to build that marriage relationship, you know, with them. So so having that trust issue between each other is is just such a big part of our industry. It's one of the things I love probably more than anything. Yeah. And I think people should remember that it takes three visits for a new client to decide to become a regular. So they'll come in the first time and think it's all great, it's fresh and new. They'll come in the second time think, think, oh, yeah, my hair looks good, it's all good. But it's the third time. If the service level or the delivery or anything is not like the previous two, they will start to question it. Yeah. So a lot of people think it's the first or the second time. You have to keep. And it is it's weirdly you saying about dating. I remember years ago, we ran a client evening um, for promotion, you know, at Charles Worthington, and we did speed dating. Right. <laughs> also said with a new client, often a new client will come in. This was again before social media. So clients now can look up and see a picture of the person they're going to see, can read about them, much more accessible than it was. It wasn't like that. You couldn't access that before the no. internet. So... All you could do is ring up and say who's good with curly hair or who's good with blonde. But what um, we said is that often it was luck of the draw. You'd ring up and say, I'd like a haircut. And I'd go, oh, I'll book you in with Carolyn. Um, and they'd book you in with Carolyn. If Carolyn was great and the perfect person for you, the perfect match, mm-hmm. then that was okay. But what if she wasn't? And so what we did was we had the same client have 10 minutes with six different stylists. Wow. And then they chose. It was, first of all, it was a fun evening, so it was all done. But I think I'd never seen all, this, all the stylists do the best consultations they'd ever done. Because uh-huh. it got so competitive. I would love to do that. I think we should do that salon. I think that sounds everyone like a great night. To choose them. And, but, it's, but it's true because, and you know, there's times when I, I do. Um, consultations where I just do consultations mm-hmm. um, and for years I do consultations charge them and I would say right you need to see 
this person is a salon. But that was part of my job. That was, yeah. you know, my job as like a director was not always to do clients myself. It was to build the business. Um, but it was also based on quite a few things as well. And I also think we've become more transparent about money, which is good. Because I used to say to the client, what is your budget? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if I'm suggesting things and you're going, yes, yes, yes. And then I tell you my charge. What I want to know is your budget, and then I will tell you who you who you can see. And sometimes their hair needed my attention. So I'd say the first time you see me, but you'll be able to go and see this person, and this is going to be your cost. Because I think again, I think we just need to be transparent, but we need to be honest, but in a professional professional way. Again, going back to you know going into a dentist and saying I like to have my teeth whitened. The first thing I want to know, because I know it's expensive. Is that I want to know the cost. Yeah. And I don't want any hidden things. No. I want to know what I'm going to have to, because I might have to go away and save up for that. I think that's that's also something that's happened more so, I think, in this last two years. With everything that's gone on, and I was only talking to somebody yesterday about it when I said that the value of our industry, for me, has really gone up. Yeah. I, I always take, and you'll probably remember, I always look back at that first week of the official lockdown yeah. And hairdressing, looking like a Neanderthal, was all over Twitter. And literally, yeah. I don't think it actually left Twitter for pretty much all of lockdown. I think it was yeah. in, still in like the top 20 or 30 yeah. Yeah. all the way through. And yeah. I think this is where hairdressing is now starting to take this shift, where number one, we're yeah. starting to value the service that we do. Yeah. People are now starting to charge more. We're yeah. starting to give a little bit more time. And again, implementing these new procedures by doing really quality education, actually leading people in the right direction, not just doing it because you want to take their money, doing yeah. it properly and yeah. building that stable marriage relationship. I think that's what's really exciting for, for us as an industry. But also it's the thing that I'm loving for the client. Is But I think also I love, I, I see clients now one-on-one. So, I, you know, I have no assistance when I say client. Even when I was at Trinder's Hair, they were assistants. But I'm, we mainly looked after the clients ourselves. Um, and we didn't have anything, anyone in between. And for me, that was a major turning point because I think the quality of the hair work increased because you were rush, 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 banging mm-hmm. it out. But to, to do that, you actually have to charge more. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're, you're not going to make any money from it. But for me, that personalized service. Now, obviously, you still need assistance and we want to grow the future. But for me, what that means is the assistant can watch more, can help you do color rather than just washing hair and cleaning, which is, you know, something that's still a big thing in our industry. That's huge. Which needs, needs to move to them learning and becoming a hairdresser quicker. I think that's uh, where, so, I mean, I, that's the education bit, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I know, yeah. I know we've taken steps in the salon, and I know you were sort of aware of that. Where we've introduced assistants who basically are there to maintain the salon, but then we have our group of apprentices, and they now work with us a lot more. It's kind of one between two. Yeah. And actually, they are learning so much more during that time. But you're a hundred percent right. I I think it's one part of the industry that I. I know that particularly youngsters now, they want everything like Amazon. They want everything yeah. quick. You know, yeah. there's no mucking around. They just want to no. get on. They want it quick. They don't want to be four years down the line sweeping floors. 
And no. I think that's probably going to be the biggest shift in the industry. Yeah. Collectively, I don't know how we're going to make that happen across the board. Yeah. But it would be amazing if we could, you know. Yeah. I think that's where there's that government support. I think that the financial thing is the biggest thing for our industry. Yeah. Certainly, it's most of the salon owners that I've spoke to, they want to employ more people and they want more apprentices, but it's that cost factor now yeah. that, that's yeah. hitting them. Yeah. But I think I think that's the thing with, with the cost factor. It's got to be, as I said, you know, like the system that I worked on was, was great because I trained one day a week going to college, mm-hmm. you know, and that was paid by the, by the staff. But I was under contract that, that last year. I worked full time on the floor. Yeah. And that sort of paid that money money back. Um, and and you were not allowed to, if you wanted to leave, obviously, if you really had to leave, you left. But if, if you really wanted to leave, you couldn't. You were under contract until that fourth year had been done because that was all part of your apprenticeship. And I, I do think there is a quite a good thing. It's probably a bit too long. But again, it's, it's, it's foundation mm-hmm. and it's quality um, training. And it's actually getting them to practice it. And, and that's what I'm saying is, as you said, if it's someone working between the two, they can listen to consultation. Because mm-hmm. as a hairdresser, I would say, if it's consultation, you need to be really careful of what you ask. You ask a question to get the answer you want, but you also have to be ready to give your expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel like we need to say, you know, I like your color at the moment. I think that's working well. However, I think it's looking a little bit brassy. So I think it's looking a little bit dark and this is how I'm going to fix it. Um, I think we've got into a bit of a stage where it's all like everything's got to be dramatically changed. And I don't want to spend three or four hours doing colour changes every day no. or, or colour change on a client. Um, plus, I'm going to charge a thousand pounds for that. <laughs> I've, um, it is it's crazy because I, I mean there's lots of things to sort of discuss and obviously we're going to get into color in a little bit more in a minute but i definitely have this thing about the current trend and um i know we've we've both been in it for a very long time we've, yeah. we we've gone through different parts of the industry i'm still amazed that when i see clients in a salon for four hours five hours having yeah. a balayage or a french bat and, yeah. and I don't know. Sometimes I struggle with that. Sometimes I yeah. just think this seems so crazy that these people yeah. are having something that do they need? Do they need no. to? Yeah. Length of yeah. time. I don't know. I don't no. know. And current yeah. trends. And I, and, I, and I don't get me wrong, there are times when that has to happen, but I think that you can change someone's look with what I believe a slightly more quicker, quicker te- techniques. Um, and, and one of the things I was going to say, the other, I, the consultation and the bespoke, but the other training thing I've been working on, which is a massive um, big thing in the, in the industry at the moment, is working with um, curly and textured hair. Yeah. Um, and I was um, really privileged to work alongside Lindsay Hughes, who only cuts curly hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has made an absolute niche for, her, for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, there's um, curly hair salons. Um, popping up everywhere now. There's some spring in Birmingham, and like I couldn't go in there and have my hair cut. They only did curl, but that's because women straightened their hair because it was deemed as seen as professional. It was deemed to be that's how it was. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, in the America, it was becoming more and more. This is the thing to you know embrace your natural hair, and we started seeing celebrities do it. 
and now women are finally and I think I think that must be really sad that you have to wear your hair in a different way just to be taken seriously at work I don't think I ever thought of it in such depth as I, I do now so I I have created curly hair techniques um a lot you know I've learned from America but I've also I've always looked at curly hair as it, like hair is a fabric mm-hmm. and curly hair is a different type of fabric so I run a course called curl power and I started doing it online in the um when we uh, were in a lockdown and I am now going to do in the new year um practical courses Brilliant. um with that and I and I did I did a, an event electric sessions last week and I showed them that technique um and then the other course that I'm doing now which has been one of my Probably big success. And if you said to me, this is going to be your most successful course, I would have said no. And that's a course called Colour Your Collar. And I have written, I launched this two or three years ago. And I did some work through um, a brand doing it. But then I also then went off on my own. I'm not with a brand at the moment. So I can then go into salons and work with different brands. Yeah. Um, and it's, for me, it's not about the product. It's about working as a hairdresser. And this is called, a, this is a business course for hairdressers that's so helping them because when you look at the offering if you want to go on a business course in the hair industry you have to either be a manager or a salon owner mm-hmm. so who is teaching the hairdressers how to really manage their column now some people are um but not everyone well, i know you want to do um an energy but for me it was it was about teaching people to strategically look at the column. And I've always said this, is that you have two hairdressers in the salon, same age, exactly the same training, exactly the same level. And one of them can be making double the money of the other one. Yeah, and it's so. like, why is that? Because if they both knew that, you know, the other, you know it's, it's again, a lot of reasons. But what I'm trying to say is that rather than us work hard and feel like we're, you know, exhausted all the time, if you work smarter, if you're strategic, if you think about your consultation, if you work your column correctly, your clients, as you said, you know, those clients that will be virtually married to you will come back and come back and back and you will make the money you need to live, to go on holiday, to to enjoy life. and it's down to, I'm not going to tell all the secrets of the course, but there's something in there that I do that's all about the conversations you have with a client. And the conversations, if you have those conversations with every client, you will immediately increase your sales. And hairdressers are not doing that because they're chatting with their clients. And I think, um, I think that's, that's definitely something I think we've always been aware of that. And, and again, I think hopefully, you know, with alongside a course like you're doing, that's where the shift will be because it is interesting it is really interesting for any salon owner or any other stylist that you can witness somebody doing something so well and yet there's a stylist next door to them that aren't achieving it at the same level but they're charging the same money yeah and and they're they're both wonderful hairdressers they're both wonderful people but it's the it's the attack the strategy it's the the awareness and and i think I think regardless whether we like it or not, if you have a formula and that formula is successful, every successful person has a formula. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you have the formula, then it's going to work for you. Um, and also, 
we spend a lot of time in education doing so we've got loads of practical courses which is great but we're not spending time i'm i let the students sit and really think about themselves and think about what they're how they're performing and then how can they improve that and what can we do to make it even better and equally it's all about you know having job fulfillment working to your full potential and earning more money which Definitely. is what we all want to do that's why i always have <laughs> strategy i always look back to um, my wife this is, this is a, i always think this is a great story but it's very similar to what you're saying so years ago she used to work for virgin and she used to be in a holiday call center and she always used to say to me, there was this amazing girl who every month you could win a holiday. If you work for Virgin, for the most holiday bookings, you could win a holiday. Every month, this girl would win the holiday. And Helen was like, right, I want to win this. So <laughs> she ended up moving and sitting next to this girl and literally <laughs> listening to what she did. She started doing it. She won yeah. it straight away. Yeah. She won it yeah. and she got it yeah. and she started to kill it. And again, it is, it's like strategy. It's like, you know, every single major, you know, major successful businessman out there has mm. stolen something from somebody else mm. and has used that strategy for growth. And that's exactly what it is. And, it's, and it fascinates me. Like I'm, I, I love that. That's a big mm. thing. So I want to, um, just get back over a couple of things. So, uh, for the listeners out there, so obviously you're a color specialist. I love color. Um, mm. Now we're all aging. I'm getting grayer than than ever, and uh, I'm not, which is infuriating <laughs> everyone. You're a lucky I, lady. My, I discovered my parents didn't go grey, so they were like sixty-five to seventy. I haven't. This is my natural hair colour. I don't have any grey. Well, you're doing I'm, all right, so I'm not liked by I'm not liked by all my friends at all for that. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that we obviously are now seeing in a salon is as you age there's that kind of shift in hair color and it's I, I always feel that there's a path that we should kind of lead you know people on as you age because you know ultimately we want to make sure that as you age you do it kind of gracefully and you look styled because yeah. there's nothing worse than sometimes seeing somebody with their hair color that just isn't right for what I would class as their their appropriate age group, whether that's the right yeah. thing to say. So do yeah. you do you think it's as a stylist, there's a kind of route that you should take people on? Uh, I absolutely. I, I say that um, everybody's style changes every 15 years. And actually, if you think about what you were wearing at 15 to what you were wearing and how you look when you were 30, yeah. then when you're 45 and then when you're 60. So that's for everyone, men or, men or women. And I think you should re-look at that every 15, 15 years. So for a hairdresser, they should be looking at a client to 30. And we know that if someone's still wearing a look that they had when they were 19 or 20, they start to get a bit concerned, you know, I'm 30 now, you know, should I be wearing this silk? Should I be having my colour like this? And it's just the same with the ageing, especially when you hit, you know, 45. And we know between 30 and 45, that's when those first grey hairs. Um, and I'm, I, the I, <laughs> I'm in the 45 yeah. age group now. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think years ago, like when I started at Charles Worthington, it was, we were working in a very... Um, it was in London, especially because I was in, in central London, and it was all about the work and the, and the office. And it was all about the professionalism and how you looked. And 
women were coming in every two weeks because they could not go to a meeting and show gray hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a bit like the curly hair girls were straightening their hair because they were working in a male dominated office. They had to come across with professional, more professional. They, they didn't want anyone to say, oh, your hair is gray or, you know, they, they had to look as sharp as they, as they could. Um, and I think that was interesting because I had clients that saw one gray hair and was just going, get it out, get it out. And, you know, freaking out, you know, cover it up <laughs> straight away. But they didn't really want to commit to having to color their hair all the time. So I think, I think as, hair, as you, your hair, as you age, your hair, you know, you do, your hair will go gray, but also what that means is the texture of your hair will change. Um, I think with, with women, especially when they, they hit the menopause, their hair really does change. So, you know, thinning, um, maybe you're feeling a different texture, not having as much body. Um, I used to find it quite funny because with curly hair clients, their grades used to come through straight. And with straight hair clients, they have curly. So again, that that is um, a different reaction. And I, I used to address it by saying that going gray is a personal choice. So you'll have that client that will see five hairs and want them completely covered. And it doesn't matter if you've done a beautiful color, if you haven't covered those five hairs, you'll be in yeah. trouble. Um, you'll have the person that wants to blend. Um, and then you'll have the person that wants to embrace. Uh, and I think, I think that's how you've got to look at it. Cover, blend, and, the, and embrace it. Love that. And when I say embrace it, that client will still have color in their hair. Um, but they don't mind seeing a little bit of uh, grey. Um, and I also think, I look at skin tone. If you've got a warm skin tone and you suit, you know, more warmer shades, having a cold grey colour mm-hmm. is not going to be so suitable. No. So I say to women, if you have a warm skin tone, you can go grey, but you'll always put a toner over it or you'll always have some blonde in there to give it a little bit of warmth. If someone has a cool skin tone and they've got blue in their skin, they will be able to embrace that beautiful sort of silver fox um, look. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also, I think it's what's interesting is that obviously through lockdown, for the first time, clients were coming every six weeks, they had a tiny regrowth. All of a sudden, their regrowth went from that to that. And we all know that when it goes to that, it starts to soften the whole look. And the grey doesn't look as dramatic or as noticeable because it starts to blend. Mm-hmm. And I was having clients come in and go, I'm really surprised. It's not as bad as I thought it'd be. And I went, I bet the worst thing was the first three weeks when it was like that and you had a line. And I said, as soon as the line grew out and softened, they went, yeah, it was okay. Um, and I think also too, we've got root touch-up sprays and things now that clients can use. So if a client, you know, rather than coming every two or three weeks and have, which is not great for the hair condition, you know, they can just put something on if they have a big event or a work event to, to cover it. But I do think it's that your hair will change, but actually it's not just about going, going grey. I think men are very lucky because yours looks great. Men, men seem to suit it um, really, really well. I remember my uncle he was the youngest of my father's um, family and he went silver and his wife went salt and pepper and he looked 
great and useful and amazing she we were coloring her hands you know and she just went why can't I go like that and she tend to go silver quicker but I think I think again I don't think it's seen so much as an age thing anymore and I think in one way even though hairdressers found this quite hard when young people started saying I want to be grey I want to be when we had to bleach hair up and try to have it tone and make them understand that it would wash out and come back in. But what it did do was it made grey acceptable. Because before that, if you had grey hair, you covered it. Yeah. And so in a way, I think that was really good. However, I personally believe there were some people wanting grey hair that it didn't suit them. Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah. Um, and I think there's also an interest, I think there's a really big shift as well in the sense that those clients that have decided to go grey, actually, we found that actually they have their hair cut more regular. Yeah. So there's kind of like you may have lost that client necessarily from a colour service, but they're having other services yeah. done more. We've had more treatments as a result of it. Yeah, and but treatments think, and toners, maybe yeah. the odd purple shampoo or maybe like a purple treatment, mm-hmm. so like just to get... because. If you're grey, um, the environment will cause it to go a bit yellowy. Um, and if you live in a polluted, like, city, yeah. you can make it. So, you know, having, as you say, treatments and, and cuts. Um, I think there's always other additional services. And I think that's probably what we need to do as an industry. But I think also from a client perspective, I think I, you know, same with the listeners here, I always want clients to ask us about other services yeah. as well. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Um, like you said, there's so much out there that clients can access now. And mm. actually, it's great for them to also bring things to us because we do. Sometimes we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I think when you're deciding on whether your clients are growing or grow grey or not, it's about suitability mm. and it's about how, how they feel. Um, and I think a lot of it is uh, they get concerned. They think, oh, my husband's going to think I'm looking older. Um, so, But I've known younger. I, I had a friend who had... She'd been colouring her hair black and she was 27 wow. and she was 100% grey mm-hmm. and she's grown it out now and it looks stunning on her uh, and it suits her skin tone better than the, the dark skin um, and she doesn't look old. She looks like on trend and, and useful. But I also think with ageing hair, we definitely need to be focusing on the hair loss area for men and women, mm-hmm. but with, with women hair texture um and and i think also too um i noticed after lockdown including on myself a lot of people were losing their hair yeah um, and that was either covid related that they had covid or the stress of it all um was causing that diffuse hair loss so i think i think again that's an opportunity for hairdressers to get their real technical advice on and mm-hmm. for me i suppose the big message now is as a hairdresser, we have to be giving expert advice. Yeah. Um, and we have to be, again, doing it because that's what clients want. You know, they, they'll do their research. They'll know about products. But at the end of the day, you know, how many times does a client come to you and say, I've read about this. Would this be good for my hair? Mm-hmm. And you say, yes, it would. Or no, it wouldn't. But this would be good this for would. your hair. Because that's what they want from us now. And one expert advice. I mean, I think all the statistics show now <clears throat> that I think it's 85% of clients when they come to a salon, they actually want to know about product. Yeah. You know, when you see that, 
I, I, I always treat it that I never really understand when salons talk about kind of retailing. For me, it's not. You know, for me, it's about offering a professional service and it's just prescription. All we're here to do, we serve people each and every day. And for those clients that are listening, we are serving you each and yeah, every day. Absolutely. And we are there to help your needs. That's it. Yeah. We're just going to yeah. help your needs and your wants. And that's yeah. what it is. And the sooner I always think like salon owners and stylists just get over selling, yeah. things will be better, yeah. you know, and just be more prescriptive. So 100%. And I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think being prescriptive means the clients will want to get the product from you. But I also believe that this whole, oh, my client can get on the internet now. The internet has been around for how many years now? And it's yeah. going to be around forever. We all shop on the internet. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, that happens. But as a hairdresser, what I want to do is I want to give the expert advice and I will recommend the right product. Yeah. And, and you know, at the end, and there's even like, I'm affiliated with a brand and I can recommend them. The mm-hmm. client can buy online and get free postage, but I've recommended them what to what to use. And then That's I get money off my next purchase. So, yeah. you know, there are ways of, you know, getting over this, but I think we've got to stop using that as an excuse. Yeah. And as you say, we've got to be prescriptive. It's got to go back to being prescriptive because mm-hmm. we know that through this um, pandemic, that people's bodies are not the same. Mm-hmm. And that's because people have had stress, extreme stress, um, due to, you know, they might have lost a family member to COVID. They might have had COVID themselves. We know COVID is still, you know, having an effect. And we don't know how much long that effect will yeah, be. Yeah, it's still going to be there for some time, I think. Yeah. And I think I have been amazed that people who have had long COVID, they've mm-hmm. actually been diagnosed with long COVID. What it, I mean, I saw a client's hair change overnight, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had to change her colour. We had to change her regime. We had to change her haircut. Yeah. We got her through it. Um, but it was just all of a sudden she came in and said, I can't do anything. And I went, your hair feels completely different. Um, and that's where and that, think, that professional service and being prescriptive took over. Because yeah. yeah. you, you dealt with her needs. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Love it. So, Carolyn, what I always like to do near the end of every show is we do uh, five little questions. OK, they tend to be like one word or a few words. Right. Um, and they're quite quick fire. All right. OK. So they're quite good. So what's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months? To focus on me and what I want to do with my career. Love that. Love that. Uh, what's the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up? And what's the last thing you do when you go to bed? The first thing I do currently is I get up and do a Joe Wicks workout workout because <laughs> I'm on an absolute health kick. And the last thing I do for bed, um, I love listening to Radio 2. Um, and I love listening to the five second song where you've got to guess a, a, a um, artist in five seconds. <laughs> I like it. Go. I like that. Joe and Radio 2. Uh, what's the favorite piece of advice you've ever had? And then the worst piece of advice? I think my favorite piece of advice has always been fail to prepare to prepare to fail. I'm an absolute obsessive preparer. And something happened last week where I, everything became last minute and I hated it mm-hmm. because I'm always so, so prepared. So fail to prepare, prepare to, to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, 
worst advice. I don't know if I've ever been given worst advice. I think for me, always put money aside to save for a rainy day. And, yeah. and that advice, I didn't start doing when I first started working, but definitely by the end I did. Yeah. Um, and that helped me in lockdown. There's a, there's a, I've got a podcast I'm doing in a couple of weeks that's, that's all about that. Um, and it's, it's quite focused on our industry, but just generally. So, yeah, I love that one. Uh, what's one thing you can't live without? Um, I think um, the one thing I can't live without at the, at the moment is a, a notebook and pen. Because I, I'm doing some writing work at the moment. So yeah. I'm writing and I'm not doing it on a computer. I'm writing it and then maybe putting it on a computer. So um, I have a really nice stylish notebook. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> There's mine. <laughs> with, all, with all technology, it's easy to say a phone or a laptop, but actually I love a notebook. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> See, I'm a journaler. I'm all about journaling. And for those of you that are listening, journal. Journal every single day. It doesn't matter what it is. Just get it down on paper, 100%. Um, and then one thing uh, to sort of finish with, a rule that you think we should all abide by. Have hair conversations with your clients, not just chit-chat. Love that. Have hair conversations with your clients, not just chit-chat. So you heard it here with Caroline Newman at Hair Life. Uh, Caroline, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, if people want to follow you or talk to you, where can they find you on your socials? Um, if they go, I have a website, which is uh, www.carolinenewman.co.uk. And on there is all my courses and also all my contact details. And there's also a form if you wanted to, if you had a specific query or question, and uh, then you can go to that. And my social, um, the main one I use for my work is um, Instagram, which is at Carolyn L. Newman. Brilliant. That is fantastic. Well, Carolyn, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I will be chatting to you very, very soon. Um, have a great day, Carolyn. I'll see you too. Take care. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye.